you don't need to win. You don't need to be the top dude. What you need is, is that everyone is after you. Hear the devil calling. Hear the devil calling. Well, I hear the devil calling. Gotta pay him what he's due. I can't stop the dogs of war. I can't stop. Listeners from all over the world, I hope you guys are having a great day. I hope you guys had a gr- are having or had a great morning. I hope you guys did some good PT today, this morning already. And I wish you guys the best of luck to, to fight whatever you guys are trying to fight or accomplish today. Today, for the first time, we have former reconnaissance company commander here in the 173rd, senior rated jump master. The, the guy's a complete animal, Captain Andre Gatlin. We're going to be talking about some pretty cool stuff. I know that Andre has a lot of a lot of pretty dope stories to talk about. So without further ado, welcome to the show. And uh, Andre, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you, man? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for asking. I appreciate you coming on the show. It's it's a, it's a it's a, it's an honor to have you here on the on the second episode of of the podcast. Um so we need to get warmed up and you get some 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 a blood pumping, get some get some some fun started, right? And a good way to do that is a mad man. I'm just going to throw some questions at you and uh, I'm going to see what you got. All right, send it. Um, who's your favorite superhero? Ooh, Spider-Man. Why? Oh, man. Why, why not? Guy gets superpowers between high school and college, right? Super smart. Ends up getting the girl. And, of course, he can go anywhere in New York. Yeah, you, you're right. And New York City is, is, a, is a big... It's a big place. Yep. Uh, what's your favorite car? What's, I'm sorry. What was your first car ever? Ooh, my first car ever was a Toyota Paseo. How much you pay for that? Nothing. It was given <laughs> to me. Wow, that's good. <laughs> if you were if you were a chief of staff, what regulation would you add or change? Ooh, what regulation would I add or change? Do you need the regulation number, or can I just, Not really, say, just say the name? Mm, I I I would add to the regulation as far as the amount of time a soldier is actually required to uh, work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to clarify that, um, here in the EU the army is treated as federal employees. Yes. So when they go over 45, 50 hours of working, they have to then be compensated their time yes. or get paid overtime. So instead of kind of having this like almost indentured yeah, so uh, you're feelings. From work from 0630 all the way to yeah. 1930, yeah, 2000, and you're like, what and, the fuck? You know, and ask people, hey, d- you should feel appreciated that w- we're doing this for you. Like, yeah. th- there should be some sort of left and right limit not a left limit with an open right limit yeah so that's what i would add you're right um if you were at an airport and an airline gave you a ticket to go anywhere in the world that you want where would you go you can't go home and pack you just have to go right then and there with whoever you are vietnam ho chi minh city well why'd you go to vietnam uh because that's really where i wanted to go on block leave but the old lady won this last one old ladies they always they always have the final final (laughs) call Um, if you could call yourself five years in the future and ask any question, what would that question be? Ooh. Uh, did the transitions to acquisition core work out? Okay. (laughs) 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 All right. Um, what was the hardest school you went through in the army? Uh, the hardest school was, uh, definitely ranger school. Is it, is it, uh, because it was 
physically tough or more mentally tough? It was uh, physically and mentally tough. And I, I don't say that as a cliche. I say that as a maturity. Okay. So just a, a young man going through that kind How old of stuff. We? I think I was uh, I was 24. So I know it's not super young, but as far as like maturity, as far as my, you know, having done that kind of stuff, I, I wasn't there. Okay. Was it right after, um, after whatever you guys do? Yeah. So it was right after um, Bullock, which is basically, basically your course? AIT. Okay. Right. And then after that, I went to ARC and then followed up by Ranger. All right. Um, if it wasn't for the Army, what would you be doing with your life right now? Man, I most likely would be a cop. That's where I got my You got a criminal degree. justice degree? I do. Oh, that's awesome. That's what I'm trying to do. Well, that's what I'm, the degree I'm, I'm going yeah. for right now. Um, if you had to choose to redo college or go through Ranger School from day one, from day zero to day 62, three times consecutively, what would you do? So either redo college or redo Ranger School three times? Yep. I would 100% redo college. <laughs> <laughs> um, if all jobs pay the same, mm-hmm. what would you work with? If all jobs pay the same, what would I work with? Uh, that's a, that's a hard one. I actually, I enjoy where I'm at, uh, right now. I won't lie. I don't have like a huge breath as far as career fields, um, that are out there. Okay. Um, what is one skill that you would like to have that you currently do not? Uh, to speak another language fluently. Oh, that's not hard. Um, have you ever felt invincible? Yes. When? And what would you, why? Why would mm-hmm. you do? You... I would say in, in college, uh, <laughs> everything was just going right. Where did you go to school? I went to Cal State Long Beach. Okay. Um, who would be a movie character that you would play in real life? Mm. So, like, a character that I wish I had their abilities yeah. or just, like, I'm just acting? like a, a movie that you're like, damn, I wish I could be that guy right now. Ooh, it's gonna be sound weird, but any one of the Jedi guys, I think that'd be fucking cool to have the, the force <laughs> things. Yeah, I'm not even gonna ask why. <laughs> uh, what is your greatest failure in life? Ooh, greatest failure in life. Uh, that's a that's a hard one. I th- I think probably. Um, my first year of college, I was actually a mechanical engineer, and I just didn't really have the motivation to continue with it. I, I say that was a major failure, though I, I like my career now. Um, growing up in California during the whole Silicon Valley boom and everything like that and okay. not taking advantage, like uh, I'm sure there could have been some other fun yeah. stuff that occurred from there. Yeah. Um, when, when did you change from, from in mechanical engineering to criminal justice? Uh, it was two years or two years after that. So basically my second semester, I basically failed that semester. Uh, no real purpose. I was the first one to go to college. So mm-hmm. there's no mentors. There was none of that okay. framework or anything. Right. Uh, and then after a year and a half, I, I kind of reestablished my life. I saw uh, someone that I kind of wanted to role model afterwards. And that's when I switched to criminal justice. All right. Um, this is the last question. If you could possess someone's body for a whole day, what would you do, and why would you choose that body? Ooh, it would be Hussein Bolt, just so I could be <laughs> the, fastest the fastest man. man. <laughs> All right. <now. laughs> 
I mean, that, that's it for the man minute. I mean, I think we did pretty good. It was it was a good little bit over five minutes. Uh, last last episode, it was like 17 minutes long. Ooh. It's probably because uh, Max talks a lot, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. I had, you had more questions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... <clears throat> Um, so th- through the way that me and Audrey know ourselves, I mean, we don't really know ourselves personally, but I, I, we work in the same, in the same unit. He, he's a true commander in, well, he was a true commander in Anvil Troop when I won and, and I'm, um, a paratrooper in, in a bulldog troop. Right. And <clears throat> he, he, he's always found a way to just a guy that st- he didn't like try to stand out, but he, he always just stood out. I don't know if it, the way he looks, the way. It's something he always something always stand, stood out for him. So I reached out to him right before he leaves because he's, he's about to leave us soon, and to see if he wanted to come on the show. And he said yeah. So we're over here recording and having a great time. Uh, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, like what have you been um, in the military? What have, what are your achieve- achievements, schools, and, and stuff like that? Um, yeah, yeah, sure. So uh, I came into the military as a OCS candidate. So what that means is basically I went through a uh, application process to get into the military so two to three boards before I got accepted I first had to go to basic training which I was a specialist during that time mm-hmm. after graduating basic from Fort Benning we went down the road to uh, from Sand Hill to Maine Post as an OCS candidate uh, which is technically another promotion which is random so you're an E5 but you wear a little OCS thing yeah I've seen them around when everyone's yeah and a little ascot right um, weirdos yeah weirdos uh, so after completing uh, OCS, I placed fairly high in the OML, so I was able to select my branch, which I selected Armor mm-hmm. uh, at the time. Was there anything that, that made you uh, be that high? or? Uh, I would say it was just physical fitness. Uh, I scored fairly well on the tests, which I'm pretty good at multiple choice questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that was really it. It was... It was actually a really easy school. When you say you're good at multiple choice questions, are you like good at guessing or what? No, it's uh, after reading something over and over, it's fairly easy to identify what the correct answer is mm-hmm. compared to just filling it in and trying to just remember it out yeah. of blue. So yeah. like if I see a 30% solution, it's like, oh, I can fill in the rest compared yeah. to zero is a little bit harder for me to like write an essay to kind of wing it. Compared okay. to just multiple, multiple. Uh, Imagine if a uh, Pathfinder school was multiple choice. Oh man, that'd be <laughs> great. Pathfinder school, like, so that was, that was the second one of the hardest ones. Like, that was the mentally worst one. Like, the one nanas, like how you do drop zones. Like, I remember going to sleep, and seeing the matrix of numbers <laughs> coming down. <laughs> yeah, um, everybody that goes in, they tell me it's pretty rough over there. Mm-hmm. Mm. So after OCS, I. Uh, commissioned as an armor officer, a second lieutenant, which I stayed on Fort Benning, and I um, ended up going to Harmony Church. From there, I did mechanized leaders course, striker leaders course. I did my main school, A. Bullock. Uh, From there, I went to ARC, uh, followed by pre-ranger, ranger ranger school. Uh, Somewhere in there, I also went to airborne school. And then I got uh, sent to 3rd ID, 3rd Brigade, which that was also at Fort Benning. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was Kelly Hill. Uh, now I think it's third SVAB or first SVAB okay. that's up there. So from there, I was immediately signed to be a tank platoon leader. So I went forward to Kuwait to meet up with my guys. Uh, oh, so they're already deployed while, while, when you mm-hmm. joined? Okay. Yep. So they snapped me up, sent me forward, and uh, ran, random little thing. I guess at the time I was the only 
tank platoon leader with a ranger tab in all of division. Damn. Uh, so definitely you're pretty, probably pretty node over there then. It, it was it was weird. So it it was cool because like my battalion commander was super happy, and that is how he introduced himself. So I, I will say the story. So I go up there to you know for them to introduce me. This is like day two, day three. Okay. Battalion commander grabs me. He's saying his stuff, and he's just like, "Yeah." And finally, I got my. He grabs me. He turns me to the left, exposing <laughs> my left shoulder sleeve. Right, my ranger tanker. Uh, great way to make uh, friends with your fellow peers yeah. as, you know, you're the new guy who just showed up uh, towards the end of the deployment yeah. and stuff. Um, so, yeah, but overall, I ended up making a lot of good friends and a lot of good buddies. For I remember day. a time that, that when when um, Tessera and Hammond got back from Ranger School and, and the, the, SCO, I, the Colonel Jones, I never, I think I never seen him so proud in, in my his entire time here. And he did the same thing. He took him to the side. He was like, there you go. Yeah. He, he didn't say nothing. He just pointed yeah. at the tab and w- was smiling. And I'm like, yeah. all right, <laughs> cool. The, the tab is a weird thing, man. I'll say there's like, sometimes you just don't realize it, like how significant it was. But I remember, uh, which I'll say shortly when I became an aide, uh, I went up to the garrison commander to tell him that the general wanted to have a meeting with him. The guy was kind of a tough dude, right? Mm-hmm. So I go to his office and, you know, I'm standing there waiting for him. He tells me to come in. And I go, hey, sir, you know, I'm Lieutenant uh, Gatlin here for Brigadier General Quintus. And he was just like, stop. And he was like, turn. And I, I turned towards the left. And he was like, what branch are you? And I was like, armor. He's like, okay, okay. What do you have to say? <laughs> and I was like, really, what? guy? Like, you really doing this? But there, there's some people that are really into it. And it, it is a significant school. Yeah, um, I mean. It is a pretty powerful school when it comes to looking at the at the soldier's resume, if you want to say that. I mean, but do you, do you think that having a tab comes with being a good leader or or no? Because a lot of people, a lot of people believe in that, and I just want to see what, what's your opinion on it. Um. So it, it's one of the foundations to be a good leader. It doesn't make you a good leader. What Ranger School instills into you is what what I think is necessary to be a good direct leadership so there's different types of leadership but good direct leadership Mm -hmm. which is reliability okay because when you go to ranger school if you don't tie a knot right Mm -hmm. you just you give everyone a no-go right like you have to do the right things constantly and it doesn't go away as you go through the different phases all they do is give you additional responsibilities which you are expected to do Mm -hmm. when no one is around okay and that that that's the quintessential uh, what is needed for leaders is when no one is around for them to do the right thing for whatever that standard is. Yeah. So, no, if you go to ranger school, are you able to, you know, like, d- does it, is that going to make you, like, the next president of the United States? Probably no, not. Probably not. But what, what it does instill into you for at least 60 days is how to be reliable. Okay. And if you continue that forward, um, people tend to gravitate to people that they trust. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so, I mean, you, you can, you, you want to finish off your, your story and stuff? Yep, so came back, uh, did my thing as the tank platoon leader, Kuwait, or back in the States, knocked it out the park. I got selected then to be the aide-de-camp for the chief of armor, which mm-hmm. at the time was Brigadier Quintus, who I think he, he's still in the military. Uh, the last job I know he did, he was the uh, third ID division commander. Okay. 
Um, and then I stayed on for Brigadier Quintus, which he ended up being one of the commanding generals in Korea. Um, that was that was an eye-opening job. That that I literally got thrown to the wolves. <laughs> <laughs> had no idea what was going on. Was definitely not ready. And it's like uh, a brand new lieutenant here, and when I want to get thrown to S three. <laughs> yeah, yeah, de- definitely. But I mean. It's one thing to get chewed out by a captain, a major, even mm-hmm. even a lieutenant colonel, right? Yeah. To get chewed out by a brigadier general, it's just it's a whole different cosmos <laughs> when the entire building is just watching you, just getting destroyed yeah. by this guy, and you just that was definitely a stressful time that um that that helped my my career along as far as like building good habits uh, that was definitely required for this unit. Okay. So after that time, I went back to Kelly Hill to get XO time, which I was an FSC XO, um, which kind of opened up my eyes as far as maintenance and kind of the support realm of like how do you deal with these soft uh, MOSs. From there, soft MOSs. Yeah, soft MOSs. Uh, during that time, I was able to go to two additional schools. So I went to Air Assault School uh, and Pathfinder School for the second time. That's right. I'm not a first time <laughs> go for Pathfinder. I mean, I'm not really, I'm not really surprised. <laughs> Every, I think that happens very commonly. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, did that. Went to uh, the Maneuver Captain Career course, which is basically like the w- WLC yeah. of uh, equivalents for the officers. And then got afforded the opportunity to come here to the uh, 173rd, uh, which I won't lie, it was very location dependent. <laughs> Yeah. Of why we came over here. Um, coming over here, we went. I went to the Cavalry Leaders Course, which is the highest cavalry school you can go yeah. in the U.S. Army. Uh, from there, I got signed to be the Squadron S4, which I was not ecstatic about. Having been the FSCXO, I wanted mm-hmm. to be the S3, especially after going to the Cav Leaders Course. Like, yeah. You know, I'm like the most expert person. Who was the Troops Commander at the time before you took over? It was Colonel Stauffer. Lieutenant Colonel Stauffer. No, I'm talking about Anvil Troops Commander. Who was the Anvil Troop Commander? Yeah, before, who, who, who did you replace in Anvil Troop? So I replaced Captain Wong. Prior oh, yeah. to Captain Wong, yeah, it I was... That. I wasn't here for whoever was before Captain okay. Wong. Yeah, so <laughs> Captain Wong is the person I replaced. So like when I got to here, he was in the S3 shop. He was co-ops, mm-hmm. and I was in the S4. <clears throat> During that time, there was a lot of uh, assurance that was going on. So we were going to every single country. I would say my first year here. Yeah, I, uh, I got. I think I got here kind of in the middle of mm-hmm. that. I got. I got here was a little bit after. Um, and what you went to Portugal, mm. and when we were going to lot to the Baltics. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We so, we were going everywhere. We were we time. were going everywhere. Um, and as the S four, I I, had, I went to every single one of those yeah. places. So that that, that was sucks. a fantastic opportunity to do that. <laughs> um. I wish the audience could see the the face of <laughs> of, of um, sarcasm right now. <laughs> um, yep. And after the uh, Baltics, which was the, like a culminating effect of everything I've learned in the uh, logistics world, I was then assigned to be the assistant S three for our gunner for our excuse me platoon live fire and troop live fire mm-hmm. underneath Colonel Jones. Uh, so as you know, those were extremely complex. And they they were very complex, but they were fun though. I really enjoyed yeah. them. It was probably the the my favorite time of, to train was we doing those those live fires. It was it was great. Yeah, yeah, I, I could definitely see the uh, the excitement with the paratroopers. I mean, I I I mean this with all my heart. I, I was yeah. truly excited when I did live fires. 
But after they were done with them, and we were done, the minute they called index, I'm like, damn, this <laughs> sucks. Yeah, yeah. Especially it, when we had to wear overwhites. That was the th- worst. That part. was really cool, and, and I enjoyed that. So yeah, so after that was done, like uh, I became a troop commander, and that was like uh, one of the first things we did was the training progression, which mm-hmm. started in the winter time. Yeah. And yeah, the overwhites, and I, I remember like being in that open field with the guys suppressing a bunker going to knock out a bunker with again with their overwrites just to go to a room and clear it out then to go onto a screen yeah. and call for fire and it was it was i don't really think like most places do live fires like that it was so much yeah. that we had to do in a live fire colonel 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 jones was i mean that that was his quintessence that's how he did everything was yeah. was live fires that was like how he built leaders that's how he that's how he knew how to train that that was his expertise which was good because that's what everyone in the maneuver world I feel like wants to do is do that, yeah. not come back and try to do their DTS voucher or yeah. try to figure out like their PDHA or, or sit in a screen for three days without seeing nothing. I want to go over there and, <laughs> and lay some rounds down range. Yeah, right. I- exactly. And then yeah, so that that brings me to uh, I was the troop commander. We did uh, I did two CTC rotations and one very long training progression, and then. I'm here now about to go to uh, Fort Dix, New Jersey to be an OCT for National Guards and Reserves. Wow, you are going to be chilling. Hey, where do you want to go this weekend? (laughs) I know, right? Um, Yeah, I mean, that's a a pretty interesting job. Um, Before we go to the next question, um, we we all woke up this morning to the the news of the... uh, I don't want to say assassination, but the the strikes that we did yeah. that America did yeah. on the the Iranian convoy lead, get coming out of of, of the yeah airport yeah in against their uh, their uh, lead intel uh, general yeah. a major general yeah um I mean w- what's your intake on that do you think I mean, what was your opinion on it what do you think about that I mean so I I, I honestly don't know what the what the strategic uh, yeah. gains or not, like realistically, mm-hmm. uh, all I could perceive was that um, that general, right? So he was in charge of basically the equivalent of our CIA, our special forces, mm-hmm. all of our intel organizations, um, and the the way that the Iran military is created, right? Like. Like that's pretty much like his sole job for until he dies, right? Like there's not going to be someone that replaces him, like a Congress where there's civilians over yeah. us. Like he is part of the government number two. Um, so as I understood in in Iraq, right? There's there's always other influences coming in, and he's the headpiece. He's the you know the commanding general in charge of all the disruption that's going on that. Iran was trying to influence, yes. whether it's good or bad. Um, he, he he was the head honcho. So, I my the U.S. targeting him somewhere in their analysis <clears throat> is my hope that they saved American lives over, which I'm pretty sure th- they did. And President Trump is definitely he has the authority, he yes. has the right to do what he believes to save. American lives and mm-hmm. I don't know I always try to think of that like you know if you're the president like you're you're always risking lives like oh. am I gonna risk like one of my citizens lives or am I gonna risk you know 
10 lives. Yeah, it's the risk you got to take. Yeah, there, there's some. So he made a choice. We haven't heard anything from him just yet. So I'm streaming there's more going on to mm-hmm. all this. Um, but in the end, like I support my country and whatever needs to be asked of me to protect our country, our um, our citizens and everything like that, I, I will do. Absolutely. And um, another thing that happened um, was the, the 750 paratroopers from, from the 82nd got called on their version of ACRF. The QRF, the the yes. real the real one. So so, in being in one I one, you probably well I I already went through a, a lot of months of ACRF. Yeah. And how butthurt were you when when they got they got called to go, to go go to Iraq? So this is gonna sound extremely selfish, but I wasn't too butthurt because I'm leaving. You know. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. We didn't we do all these months from ACRF and yeah you know, the time we're off, someone gets called. Yeah, so I mean, and we pick up in like a couple of days. Yeah, so I mean, you you never know, and I mean, the the thing with the eighty second is they have a division headquarters, mm-hmm. right? So they they have, we don't have a division headquarters, and a division brings so much more to bear mm-hmm. uh, that that it's really hard for us at the tactical level to understand the organizational and strategic level a division can uh, bring, but. That's what they have. They have a division that is supporting them back at Fort Bragg, and you can believe that there's a giant building Absolutely. that just has like a one-way phone to, you know, the DOD and even possibly the White House, and are making all the pieces uh, happen. So, I mean, that that is their legitimate job, and you know, they tell you they tell you that ACRF is a contingency, and that's what it is. If for some reason we start going from contingency to like, hey, this becomes our mission, mm-hmm. that means there is some real serious stuff that the entire military is gearing up yes. for. Or just a significant catastrophe. Like, in my honest opinion, I think if the ACRF ever did get called on, I think it's going to be a natural disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I pray that it doesn't happen, but like, you know, like a volcano goes off down in Italy or Sicily or something like that. And they're going to need help. Yeah. And the, the easiest people to help that, you know, are on 24-7. One five oh third and two five oh third in in Vicenza. That's, that's yeah, what they right? need. Yeah, right. Uh, but that that's what I think ACRF, if we ever do do it, it's going to be that. It's going to be a natural disaster that happens here in Europe. Yeah. When you when you decided to join the Army, what, what made you choose to go an officer instead of being enlisted? Was it was it the money or was it you want to make a bigger impact? Um, what what was it? Uh, it was it was experience. So as I said, I have a degree in criminal justice. I was mm-hmm. planning to be a police officer. Um, my ultimate goal was to be an FBI agent. Okay. So the better best route to be an FBI agent was to become an officer, because um, that line of experience was. It ties you have, yeah, yeah, it you have a better up. track. So that's what it was. So I initially joined the military during the housing crisis as a means of experience. So instead of going to college to to go get my master's to compete for an FBI job, mm-hmm. I went to get experience. And the military is the experience that's required. Okay. Are you plan on getting your, your master's before you get out or when you get out? or? Yeah, so I actually got accepted to the Naval Postgraduate School. Okay. So I applied to the Acquisition Corps, which is the people in charge of making the next tanks, weapons, like, you know, that JLTV that we keep on not getting? Yes. So there's someone in charge who's in charge of 
putting out the request of we want this to making sure everything comes in time to making sure everything's shipped mm-hmm. out here and stuff. And then also part of the branch is also contracting. So like, let's say you go to Iraq and there's nothing there. There are green shooters there that work with millions of dollars to build the infrastructures mm-hmm. from the local populace and stuff okay. like that. So through that, I'm going there to get a de- master's in uh, systems engineering. Okay. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, as an officer in charge of, of other leaders and some of those leaders being sometimes having more time uh, and experience than you, um, what, what do you really expect from them? From them? Uh, honesty. So like uh, everyone has their own, I won't say lanes, but like their own expertise, right? Mm-hmm. So like though there is an NCO that's been in, in the troop or who's been an NCO and been in the army longer than me, he may not have been a troop commander yeah. lo- longer than me. So, you know, me being in the spot for five months, I have a different, different jobs and different details and different things as required. So when you are managing other leaders, again, one, you need them to be honest Two, you need to be able to assess their capabilities. Mm-hmm. Three, you need to, be able to understand whatever the problem set is and then finally deploy them uh, to wherever they need to go in okay. order to achieve the goals. All right. Um, so so that being said, wh- what about what about guys that – so let's say that that, that, that senior specialist that mm-hmm. is about to go to promotion board or just pass the promotion board, what do you expect from him until before he gets promoted to be a sergeant? I expect him – this is going to sound funny. Expect him to be adult. So what does that mean? So a lot of people from private to, you know, junior specialist are always asking questions and are always waiting, you know, for the next thing that goes on, right? Yeah. Like they will literally sit out front and wait for the NCO to come tell them to do something. The transition from senior specialist to sergeant, what my expectations was is that now you are looking to see what can be done and then you are doing it Mm -hmm. um so for example everyone knows 1700 comes around it's time for us to leave yeah a specialist or a private like i expect him to kind of hang out and look at his phone and wait for what is the next orders a senior specialist slash junior sergeant i would expect him to be like the trash is not taken out. Hey guys, we need to take out the trash. Yes. Or hey, we need to put the vehicles back in the line. So that that's that transition, again, that adult transition mm-hmm. of like you are now seeing a problem and you are executing to fix it, resolve it, or complete whatever is being done. Um that is the transition and that is what I expected. Didn't have to be big things, right? Like yeah. Sometimes it could be like, hey, I know I need to do this, right? Senior specialist, junior sergeant, he doesn't know how to do it, but he at least then brings it up to someone's intention instead of just waiting. It's like, oh, yeah, sorry, I saw it, but I didn't know what to do. Like, okay. I expect that from privates. I expect them to wait for their orders, and once they get their orders, they violently execute. So so what do you think about that? That uh, I don't want, I don't want to. Okay, what, what, do you, what do you think about that, that more high-speed private that, like, is just take an initiative that the senior mm-hmm. specialist is in or and, and stuff like that. So I, I think something like that has to be fostered and it has to be carefully fostered because you get someone too high speed, 
they end up alienating themselves from the rest of their peers, mm -hmm. right? And something bad could happen, right? Like, so they're knocking out of the park at work. No one around them really wants to interact with them off of work or whatever. So they then end up doing something out of work to, you know, make up like, mm -hmm. hey, look, I'm still one of the boys. And they go do something stupid, yes. right? Um, so you got to sometimes tone them back a little bit in certain aspects and then at the same time give them additional responsibilities to kind of put them on the fast track um so it, it could be like as easy as um you know if you're short team leaders putting that person into the position where they're kind of like a team leader or making them them their own little team so like hey this is your vehicle we're short people so you're gonna have to take care of this mm -hmm. vehicle while these other two guys take care of their vehicles and then again, like watch to make sure that dynamic doesn't change with the whole group. Uh, finally, is making sure that they are incorporated into that group. Like, you know, everyone is proud of that, their high speed private, right? Yeah. And like everyone wants to mentor them compared to dissing them, putting them down, calling them blue falcons or mm -hmm. something like that. I, I've seen that. Uh, and it was discouraging, like kind of how everyone cramped, like Tassara when he came back. He had like some frictions um, with people that kind of was, I won't say jealous that he had a ranger tab, but yes, you know. And then then he goes and passes the board and yeah, promoted corporal. And a lot of people, I, I went to the board the same day to Sarah, yeah. and we both got promotable promotable that, that same day. Mm -hmm. I think it was us and like one more the person out of eighteen yeah. people. And I experienced the same thing. A lot of people saying, "Oh, this guy's turning into to to a, a douchebag now. He's he's yeah. he thinks he's a sergeant already." And I'm like. No, uh, that, that's not how it is. Um, yeah, it's, I understand. I I I know. I've seen that happen, and yeah. it happened to me a couple of times. Yeah. Um. So, uh, what what was the hardest decision that you made as a troop commander? Something that you really had to put a lot of thought into it. Hmm. So, the hardest thing was creating the culture that i wanted within the troop okay because every single and i would focus on the officers right mm -hmm. on my lieutenants because i mean those those are the people that work directly for me right and each one of them had their own personal views their own how how they did everything right and when i took over the op tempo in the unit was just it was out of control it was just out out of control right it was out of control the brand new lieutenants, they, they have no idea. Like, so like, I won't lie. Sometimes the lieutenants would just say fuck it. And they just would not put in as much energy as I wanted them mm -hmm. to, or to buy in as much. Right. Cause a lot of them were on the fence too. They're just yeah. like, Hey, I'm just doing this for college. So the hardest thing was managing when to be stern with them, with them, when to be relaxed with them, when to bring them in. Um, the monthly counselings I did with them, like, what what do I bring up and what do I not bring up? What mm -hmm. do I allow to kind of go by? Like, because I see every like as a troop commander, you'll be surprised as how much you actually know, right? It it is just insane. Like everything just kind of bubbles up, right? And if you allow something to happen, right? Like people take that kind of as the standard, or like they just they just oh, go they let it go by. Yeah, right. So if, if you let it go by, like you accept it yeah. by not saying anything. So there is some tactical acceptance that I allowed happen. 
to ensure that people felt like they owned mm-hmm. they owned more like you know there are some things that they knew they couldn't own and there's nothing they could do but they had these little spots where they felt like they've owned it which to me like was nothing illegal immoral unethical or anything like that so have allowing them um to have that authority to feel like you know like they, they got this uh was relatively important and allowed especially our troop to have very strong platoons which yes. rate that raised the morale at the time which needed to happen uh which within each one of those elements so that's what i would say the most difficult thing is is like how do you cultivate uh really five different elements um to each specialize in their own thing right because mm-hmm. each platoon is strong at their own but and, like and and do that while trying to do your job as as a commander is as a doing commander and somehow getting them all to come together and getting them to do what you want yeah which i guess is the uh, definition of leadership right <laughs> yeah that's correct um what, what would be a piece of advice you would give to a uh a, a junior nco like a brand new promoted sergeant mm-hmm. and, a, and, a, and a junior lieutenant a second lieutenant come to coming to work for you to be a better leader okay uh I would say for a junior team leader to be a, a, a better leader is uh, two things. One, reliability, mm-hmm. right? So I think that you said in range school, yeah, always do yeah, the right thing. Yeah, so, you know, hey, do this. If you're unable to do it, come back in a timely fashion and say, hey, I can't do this. I would require this to do it, mm-hmm. right? That second little... Yeah, a, lot, a lot of people, a lot of people they, they know they need some extra stuff to finish the tasks they're giving, and they're I, I guess they're too scared to, to ask for that stuff and, and as a sergeant you, uh, uh, you shouldn't do that like mm-hmm. if you need help if you need an extra resource you, you should you should definitely speak up come up with the net and, and ask for that resource because uh, how are you going to do it if you don't have what you need exactly and how are you going to get what you need if you can't get what you need you know what I'm saying exactly and a lot of people are scared to do that stuff and I think I think that comes with experience of that there is a lesson that you learn in the military of how to ask for things mm-hmm. right um, it it, it is an art of how do I figure out exactly what I need? And that's when you get those young NCOs. You got to put them in situations where whether it's a good situation or a bad situation, that they can build that experience so later down the road they know mm-hmm. like how to ask things, how to get things. It's not a lot of a lot of my peers just feel like people just know like you get pinned on and you just know how yeah, to operate it's definitely not like that it, it is not that case and i think I, if someone if there's someone if there's a rank that definitely needs like is in the process of learning the most is definitely that brand new promoted sergeant or that that brand new lieutenant showing up to the unit exactly and so you, you just have to put them in situations and so i i enjoyed always talking to my team leaders and putting them into those situations and a lot of ways that I was able to put them in situations was just me going in dev and asking them just questions like, you know, all right, hey, um, your guy was supposed to go there. Why didn't he go there? Oh, well, I, you know, I didn't have um, this. Well, why didn't you have that? Well, I, I didn't know the timeline. Well, why do you have the timeline? Oh, well, no one gave it to me. You, you expect someone just to give it to you? Well, no. Well, then what do you need to do? I need to go here. All right, well, how can you make sure that that doesn't happen again? Well, if I create this calendar or this thing, then I have it. Okay, good. So 
you now have this thing coming up. What are you going to do? I'm going to do this to this. Well, who are you going to talk to? I don't know. Well, who's the one who deals with that? Oh, the training room. So go talk to the training room. Exactly. Right? So, like, those those were the ways as a troop commander I was able to influence the NCOs. When it comes to the platoon leaders and platoon sergeants and the section sergeants training their team leaders, they then need to put them into other scenarios, more of, like, live fire scenarios of, like, how do you maneuver your guys? How do you control their rate of fire? I mean, would you do, do that with with a new lieutenant, though? I mean, he, he so, doesn't yeah. have a lot of ground experience. So with a new lieutenant, right, there's different ways troop commanders take it. I'm a very hands-on kind of yeah. kind of dude. So, yeah, with, with the new lieutenants, it's not only asking, but it's definitely putting them in situations to, like, to get them to be able to think analytically through things, all the additional duties I give them. Hmm. Right, the industry duties, the investigations, it's very carefully picked um, in order to get them to grow. So even though I know someone may be able to do it quicker, faster, better, I'll put someone into that scenario so that th- they can learn. Next, when it comes to uh, sticks training, sticks training is phenomenal for, training. for a troop commander to be there. And you just, when it comes to sticks, I hate it when people fight to index. Right, like everyone gets that feeling, that sensation is like, oh, index is coming. So, it is my personal goal to pass index, <laughs> pass the index. Like, I don't want you ever to think in your mind like I'm waiting for this magical thing to go. Like, you should be thinking, all right, I finally got to this point. I need to consolidate, reorganize, and I need to continue on. So, like, during our sticks, during our platoon um, exivals. The roughest part where we had our Moscow, where we had our Seaburn attack, where we had, you know, we're about to wrap everything up and another ambush hits us was right in the middle of the entire lane, which the lane was like a six hour lane. So mm-hmm. three hours in is when you're doing your what you would feel like your culminating event. The lieutenant feeling like he's culminating. And event. then you got three hours left. And, and you're like, you still got three more hours. So like. It's that it's that you get psyched out sometimes. You, you do. You, you got you got to snap out of it. You got to come back. You do, and that's and that's that is what's essential for a brand new lieutenant is to be able to complete whatever actions is going on at the same time, looking out to whatever the next one, and trusting your platoon sergeant that he is looking at the situation now and in right mm-hmm. of making sure all the little pieces are able to come back for whatever next plan you have going on okay it, it's all come down to being to being um prepared like like back when you said um about the your ncos asking for resources and like not knowing not having a training calendar or not knowing the the progression and stuff like that it's, mm-hmm. nobody's ex- nobody's expecting I, I mean i think as a as a commander you're not expecting them to to know everything but you're expecting them to know enough to cover them and cover their soldiers mm-hmm. so that way they're not messing up it's, it's all come down to to being prepared something I, I learned that from uh from uh captain williams he, he once told me that preparing like readiness is, is key like preparing is a key to success and, and that's something I, I live by every day either coming in on on sunday knowing you got imc and yeah. fmc on, on monday mm-hmm. coming in on sunday rigging your ruck and your stuff ready I mean, that, that's the kind of stuff you got to do to to make sure you prepare, right? That that is, and I mean, you're kind of going back to the first thing I said of being reliable. Yeah. So that that is a key part of being reliable is preparation, right? Eighty mm-hmm. percent preparation will get you to that final twenty percent of success. Yep. Uh, what are your What are your plans 
um, in your future in the army, and uh, can you a little bit can you go in a little bit in depth of what you're doing next in your next unit? Uh, yeah. So let me talk about what I'm going to go to my yeah. next unit. So my next unit at uh, Joint Base McGuire Dix uh, Lakers, which is a combined Army Navy Air Force base. Mm-hmm. Uh, as an officer, yeah, OCT officer controller. Um, my job is to assist other units in training in order to deploy to AFRICOM and UCOM, right? So if you go on to ATN, CATC, whatever cool guy, AKO th- acronym <laughs> is that they want, right? You have the TE and O's, which is basically a step-by-step of how do we accomplish our task for our uh, mission acceptable tasks, our, our METs, right? Mm-hmm. So every single unit will have between three to six, usually the magic zone is five, of things they have to do. So the infantry unit I'm going to go to most likely will be training maneuver elements. So maneuver elements is conduct an attack, conduct a defense, movement to contact, probably a um, rapid deployment um, going on. So it is my job to, one, know the doctrine of the unit, so Mm -hmm. infantry armor of how they accomplish an attack. Mm -hmm. Two, know the step-by-step of all the things that they need to do. And then three, observe them put any kind of stresses or eliminate any kind of stresses so that they are able to meet those tasks and once they do meet those tasks or they don't meet those tasks give them a good after action report an aar mm-hmm. of hey this is how you succeeded or, or excuse me this is um what you're supposed to do this is what you ended up doing now let's talk about ways that you could have done this better okay in the future all right have you ever thought about doing anything like sfas rasp um sfab or or... i did earlier in my in my career i wanted to go ranger be that one even more unicorn of that armor guy and ranger (laughs) i Um, mean there was one there was there is one there right now there Um, is there 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 are plenty there are plenty uh, my old xo lieutenant brand complete animal is there right now? He he is a, he is an animal. Yeah, he's he's over there in the uh, recon side. Major Herbrick, if you remember, yeah, the I old, remember him. He was actually there too as a um, he was a staff officer as a major, but he was doing strategic stuff for them. Okay. Um, there's there's quite a few armor officers that went there, but yeah, I wanted to go there to be cool, and then uh, um, those guys are just so professional and good at what they do. They They're, they are offered the opportunity to do their job and by that what i mean is like they have their set schedule Mm -hmm. like when they're on their schedule and it's approved there is no last minute taskings Mm -hmm. which is things i feel like take away through conventional forces yes that are not tier one or uh, tier two like and then they 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 do those things right and like those are the guys that just love physical fitness you know they love mentoring each other. There, there is a. You also love kicking ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that 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 was an that was an idea, and then I kind of uh, steered away when I came here to the to the one seventy third. The the op tempo kind of, I won't say beat me down, but like, I I felt satisfied. Like yeah. Ranger, it would be cool and everything like that, but I won't lie. I will say that was kind of like my earlier days. SFAB, if I didn't transition branches, probably would be something I'd be 
uh, very interesting to going mm-hmm. into. Just like I try telling, I try telling this to my guys. Like you know, sometimes you gotta read the leaves. Like when someone says like this is priority one, right? Go to the things that people make priorities. Like though, like people who aren't in it may not think highly of it. When the top guy is saying, hey, I'm putting all my resources, I'm putting everything into this, mm-hmm. like, you got to you got to believe that there's something there. Yeah. And, and I kind of have that feeling with the SVAB that I feel like 10 years from now, that whole group of SVAB guys, when they grow up and they start controlling the Army more because they are number one, they have these codes, they, have, they are able to go through the Army system up to higher and bring along with them uh, their fellow subordinates. Uh, that everyone's going to be looking back and SFAB is going to become something that is fought for, just like Ranger kind of mm-hmm. is. Uh, I mean, uh, do you want to go into detail of wh- what the SFAB does? Uh, I'm not really too familiar with it. Yeah, so the SFAB, um, their their role is to advise and assist uh, foreign nations. So um, the Army has always done this, and what they used to do is they would make, uh, I want to call it like MIT teams, when they call it, basically they would take a combat brigade. So imagine one seventy third. They took half the officers, half half all the captains are gone. Only that's left is a couple of lieutenants and some of the captains. The big guys, yeah, right. To do a rear D. There's some there's some NCOs that are taken, right? Like yeah. let's say a third of the NCOs are taken um, forward to some country, and basically they're just teaching that country of like, hey, this is how you conduct conventional forces Mm -hmm. well when you take that away from a combat brigade and they come back like it doesn't take like a year to reestablish all your systems and get everyone ready it takes three years after you do that so the army was just pulling from all these combat brigades these special teams and it just had a devastating effect over the combat readiness as a whole for the army Mm -hmm. so what they said was all right, we're not going to do that to combat teams because if I take someone away from a year, I make a brigade NMC for three years. Yeah. And if you know our vehicles, like, can they're, you just imagine? Like, I mean, uh, yeah, they're yeah. garbage. Yeah, right? So, like, you're doing that. Let's just make our own organization where that that is their job. So, so now that they did that, right, it frees up the rest of us brigades to hopefully focus on what we're fighting for. But... Everyone knows what Special Forces does, right? Mine is, like, their secret squirrel, like, kill guys. Like, yeah. they go in to, like, you know, the tropics. They teach people how to do their poop and snoop and, like, how to shoot all these cool weapons and how to, like, you know, fight as an insurgency and win. And now they have democracy. Well, that's the SFAB job, right? Or, excuse me, that's the Special Forces. The SFAB job is is once you already have that country that's well-established of, like, hey— this is how you become from like a third rate military to a top notch military, mm-hmm. right? Like teaching them, hey, this is how you do gunneries, this is how you do weapon qualifications. And unfortunately, the FAB that we have, the problems they've been facing is logistics, which logistics is a pain in the butt. Yes. Of just and like, it's so and it's so important yeah. to the success of the organization. So our SVAB has been downrange basically advising um advising other uh, other countries militaries of like how to train to f- how to train to win making sure that during their operations the logistics are actually in place now their other mission if need be is 
they're also assistants. So that means they could be a like a sergeant could be assisting a company commander with how to deploy his company mm-hmm. to realistically kill things. So like, you know, you ever see movies where it's like, you know, you have like the American is there, they're fighting the British and stuff like that. And you have like that one French guy who's like, he's in it, he's fighting, but like he's kind of showing them how to do this yeah. stuff. Like that's the SVAB. Okay. They're in the weaves, they're fighting, they're making sure that our allies are able to do what they need to do. And they're not using like the big force, like precious American uh, lives okay. doing it. What about what about SFAS? Are you ever interested in trying to be a Green Beret? No, no, I, I I never. The Special Forces thing to me is just two, three years to be able to like maybe do something cool. Like I, I don't know. I the the people who kick down the doors to do the real cool shit are fucking Rangers. Mm-hmm. Like I remember Major Staley, our former S three. Yeah, I remember him. He was he was a company commander in Afghanistan. There was a SFA, a special forces major answering to him because he was the one that owned the AO. So a captain, you know, does not outrank a major. Mm-hmm. The major had to come to him whenever that major wanted to do anything within his AO. But but I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, at that point, rank doesn't really matter. I, I guess um, no, it doesn't. I mean, he's in charge of the AO, so that, I, mean, I guess the ranger, the the major was doing what he should be doing. He doesn't know what's going on. That that is true. So what what I guess I'm trying to say is, uh, I was more appealed to like the actual kicking ass okay. thing instead yeah. of the like scooping and pooping and acting like you're cool. Okay. All right. I mean, I have I have a whole different intake on, on the Green Braids, but I don't want to get into that. <laughs> um, what is what is your key to success to be the best leader you can be every day? Uh, reliability, preparation, um, humility, right? Like people yeah like everyone has treat everyone people has like people yeah treat people like people everyone has motivations right and it's kind of a selfish thing as a leader like you got to figure out someone's motivation so that you can really get them to achieve the goals that you want them to achieve but honestly like the this army is you know we're not unethical or anything like that so it, it's really nice to be able to be like oh you're you know you're motivated by family like okay let me make sure that your family knows what's going on. Let me make sure your family sees pictures so they can be proud of you. Mm-hmm. Let me make sure that, you know, your family feels secure. Or some people just really want to shoot shit. So it's like, all right, man, go over here. Go shoot this. Some people just – some people honestly are also into, in it for the money. So, like, as a leader, you got to make sure that that is squared away for them so that they they are motivated. Um, I, I would say that that is a very important thing as a leader is understanding what motivates <laughs> Um, people. Do you have someone that you do you um, aspire to be or inspire to be like, or someone that you look up look up to? Like, damn, I want to be like this guy one day. Or when things are hard, I look up to this person because they, they they can then help me out, figure out what's going on. Uh, there there are a couple of people. So I would say like our former our former field grades that we had, uh, Major Staley, uh, Major Herbeck, uh, were were definitely people that that I looked up to. Um. I would say our current squadron commander and last squadron commander, they have their own little bits that I want mm-hmm. to be in. Um, 
and then they kind of lay out the ground groundwork of of how to do it so anytime like there's a rough time going on i'd either reach out to them ask them questions or just see how they approach things mm-hmm. and then also i think it's important outside of just looking up to someone is having a def as far as knowledge so i have multiple facebook professional pages that i'm aligned to uh that literally you know as i'm scrolling through my facebook or instagram i'm looking at these and they're putting on random topics that's just you know one was talking about a guy got an evaluate a reprimand two reprimand evaluations and didn't know if he was going to make it to the next grade to you know someone dealing with a certain live fire so how people transport people on mill air to get whoever on whatever location they need to get and all those kind of forums build your experience so outside of just looking up to people you're going laterally and people you don't know mm-hmm. building that kind of experience is also vital okay um do you think your leadership approach changed from when you first became a troop commander to compared to now that you're leaving i think a little bit uh, when i came in as a troop commander i would say the environment was toxic uh so to- toxic in, in like what level was it troop toxic I would say it was troop toxic. Uh, so at squadron level, it was definitely tough, right? Uh, but at troop level at the time, we had a suicide uh, like I a month that. and a half earlier, right? Um, people were upset about that. There was... And it was, it was right in the middle of live fires, too. It was right in the middle of live fires. Uh, I, remember, t- I remember because we were out there to support you guys. And yep. they were like, <laughs> hey, we got to go back to, to get our stuff ready because we're going to support Anvil. Some yep. shit went down. We're like, oh, what the fuck happened? Yep. Yep. Exactly. It was during the walkthrough. Mm-hmm. I, I remember that day. Um, so yeah, so it, it was a trying to get everyone to understand, trying to get the NCOs at that, the higher level NCOs to calm down because mm-hmm. everyone was just on edge, which just trickled down to like no one being satisfied. I, I, at the time I didn't think I could raise morale, but I thought I could at least raise work satisfaction. Like people aren't miserable coming to work. Like people look at work as like. Not not something to be frightened of. Of something of, there's going to be a challenge, something good may happen from it. You know, you're with your battle buddies, yeah. so it it is amusing. Like, it is something that you are okay putting your time towards, and not something that you completely dread. Now there are little things that you know you you do dread, right? Like staff duty and whatever. But overall, at least coming into this troop, it feels like a second home, mm-hmm. and that's what like that's the cool thing about the military is like. When you go to the office, when you go to troop, it's like it's home. Yeah, you know when you go. And to when school, someone new comes in, you're like, what yeah, are you doing here? <laughs> yeah. What are you doing here? Yeah, especially when other people from other troops come in, like, what what are you doing in my yeah, house? Yeah, I remember a time. Remember a time, <laughs> um, uh, Staff Sergeant Hall mm-hmm. uh, from Ambush Troop, the Mortars. He he's he lives right right in front of me. Yeah. And um, at the time, I came to him because I needed a headlamp, mm-hmm. right? And I walked in. The minute I walk in, first time Cameron pokes his head outside the office, he's like. <laughs> Who are you? What are you doing here? And I'm like, and I'm like, I'm yeah. gonna start hauling. I'm, I just look at him. I'm like, I'm gonna start hauling first. Time. I'm about to grab yeah. something real quick. <laughs> are you new? And I'm like, and they, <laughs> first time he's like, all right, carry on. Yeah. Well, I think that's I think that's important. Like that, just that home feel and you know being with your brothers. Okay. Some uh, you mentioned about about having the the, the toxic. Um, when you when it go it was toxic troop, would you think it was because of the old troop commander, the old first sergeant, or you think it was because of the the people in the troop? Um, ooh, man, 
I, I think it was, I mean, it starts from the top, right? Yeah. So, like, yes, the, the troop commander did did have a influence on it, right? He achieved results. Like, the troop was lethal. They destroyed it in JWA. Like, you know, like. One, one, one bulldog is, is not a part of it. But, <laughs> yeah, one bulldog is not part of it, right? <laughs> um, so, he, he, he was extremely, you know, he was extremely successful. And the brigade commander, like, identified him as one of his most successful company commanders in all of all of his brigade but in that trying to achieve all of that success you know we're all human and just like certain one of his approaches that he does gnaws at people mm-hmm. right and then when you're he was living on eggshells right and when everyone else is living on eggshells it just kind of like translates down mm-hmm. right so like there is some risk that he was unable to accept and those are the kind of risks that is needed in order to raise yes. work satisfaction. Yeah. Um, but, go ahead. No, you can finish up. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. And then, of course, uh, some of the NCOs, like, I think there are some that try to combat. But, you know, when someone tells you, hey, I will just get rid of you. like, Yeah. It, that, that's certainly not the right answer. Yeah. So, it, it was hard for them at the time. And they, too, was, was on eggshells. So, I think it was just it was just that environment at the time, um, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent. It was a way, and we were able to find during my command, and I know after my command they're going to get even better of ways how to alleviate some of that stress mm-hmm. again to raise work satisfaction, and not have everyone on eggshells and feel as if they ha- they're living in a toxic environment or they themselves do toxic things. Mm-hmm. Uh, me, me as, as a, as a, um, enlisted guy, right. I think, I think, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want everyone to tell a troop commander how to do mm-hmm. his job, but I think there's two things that I need that I think believe that will come to toxic, toxic, uh, organization is, is, um, no matter how good it is, the, the people are never satisfied. They're, mm-hmm. They they want to get off every day at, at, at lunchtime. They want to, mm-hmm. they want to have four days every weekend. And you're like, that's just not how it works, man. Like mm-hmm. our job, we need to go to field, do training. We need to shoot guns. We need to clean the troop. We need to get paperwork done. It, it's it, pe- mm-hmm. some people are never satisfied yeah. and they always expect too good. And when it's not the way they want, what the unrealistic things that they want, it, they, they get upset and it ends up affecting everybody. And you can even see uh, some of some NCOs too. They they start complaining. They start and start affecting the 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 guys under them. Because I mean, if I see my platoon start whining about something, I'm gonna go down. So I'm gonna whine to the rest of the yeah. dudes, and I'm like, it, it, it's just how it is. And then the second thing is that the first thing is not in control of the commanders. It's it's in control of the <clears throat> of the of the guys. Uh, each person controls that. But the second thing I think is in control of the commander is. Is listening to to your to your subordinates because I think I think one thing that I seen a lot of people do wrong is I'm the commander, I'm 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 higher ranked than you. Even NCOs, NCOs yeah. do the same thing, and it's gonna be this way because I said so. We're not gonna say, not gonna say, hey, hey guys, um, we need to accomplish this. What are your guys' ideas on how to do this? I have this planned, but I want to see what do you guys think about it. I think I think as as a commander. Or as a team leader, you should listen to your guys. If you're a section leader, you should keep your ears open for your section. If you're a platoon sergeant, platoon leader, and it goes on so forth all the mm-hmm. way up. And I think that's something that that if that lacks, if any of those two, two things happen, it's it's what causes it to be a toxic organization. 
I mean, I, I'm not sure if you agree with me or not. Uh, so yeah, in, in a way. So it's always it's always time dependent, right? And so we, we do have a chain uh, for a reason. So like, for me, like I expect my my privates to be talking to their sergeants, their sergeants mm-hmm. to be talking Absolutely. to their section sergeants, sergeant sergeants to talk to platoons. And then like when I'm talking to platoon leaders, I'm expecting that they're getting their vibes from each one they're getting mm-hmm. from there. So like when I'm getting their recommendations, I'm also getting the recommendations from each one of the Joes mm-hmm. that's underneath them. Now, I'm not stupid. I, I know that they might wish away some other things. Yeah. So that, tr- that happens a little bit too often. Sometimes it, it will get, it will get to the ears of the commander or the person that needs to make a decision. Mm-hmm. And everything that was discussed between the private all the way to you, they kind of, sometimes they sweep it under the rug and it's like, yeah. well, that was, that was. Pointless. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a, it's a human nature because one might end up being more work for them. Yeah. So it's like, Hey, am I going to bring up something that's more work? Two, it might be something that uh, looks bad on them. Like, mm-hmm. oh man, do I really want to air out this dirty laundry? Like, you know, if I don't say anything, nothing is going to happen. Exactly. If I say something, only bad things are going to happen. Uh, and the other thing that I think a lot of people in the ranks tend to forget about is that sometimes people just forget. Yeah. Right? Like, you're getting a thousand different opinions, you're getting a thousand different things going on, right? Whether you're a sergeant or or general right like sometimes you just forget those one or two things and now because you forgot about those one or two things those one or two things may have been like very important to one or two people right yeah or more um so now that person you know without you knowing is now additions uh yeah it's not as satisfied it's like why is no one listening to me why is nothing going on even though maybe that person may have captured 99% of the things, you, you didn't get that 1%. Where I think you can come back to toxicity is doing, uh, what do you call it? Um, open sessions, right? Um, sensing sessions? Sensing sessions. That doesn't happen enough. I think I had like yeah. twi- two of them mm-hmm. since I've been here. And, and it's so important because it the guys... Cause like like you said, people forget to say something, yeah. and maybe that yeah. thing will be mentioned in the in the yeah in the session. And I so I had quite a few uh, sensing sessions with my guys. I would have it with the so I was very personable with my sergeant Fletcher classes and staff sergeants. Mm-hmm. Like I would talk to them. I knew about their lives. They told me like things point blank of what they thought and stuff like that. And I told them to cut the bullshit and just tell me like what they feel. Like don't lie. Don't do anything. Don't tell me what I want to hear. Like. I talk to you, right? So I would talk to them very openly. My sergeants were more spot checks slash sensing sessions. Mm-hmm. And then I would say I did about five sensing sessions, maybe a little bit more, maybe one more, with my Joes, right? E4 and below. And just, hey, guys, what do you guys need to tell me? Hey, guys, this is what's going on. Hey, I know you might not like this, but this is how I think, mm-hmm. right? Like, this is my this is where we're currently at. This is how I'm thinking about it, which I think is important. Like if you know how your boss thinks of something, you can then get into his planning cycle. You yes. can then say those one or two things the right way. Mm-hmm. Cause you may say something the wrong way, which just, you know, instantly stops someone. Um, so I would do that with my guys. Um, Hey, this is how I think. All right. If you guys want to influence it, this is how you guys influence it. Right. 
you may say something and I may say no, like I will tell you, you know, why I might not be able to tell you at that time, just mm-hmm. due to the time, but you can always come back, ask me, or during the session sentences, I'll come back and be like, Hey, look, I know we were doing all this, but this is why we we're doing it. Mm-hmm. We we're doing it for this reason. And I'm sorry, but we did it because of this. And I know you may not like it, but th- that is the answer. Right. For that. But also, hey, we have openings for other things. Like, mm-hmm. what do you want to see? How do you want to see the approaches going? Like, I can tell you whether we can do it or we can't do it. And if you don't tell me, like, what is a friction point for you guys? Like, I don't know. Like, CQ, right? CQ is a major friction point for the majority of my time. Um, we were able to clean it up at the end of, like, guys getting pulled last minute. Yeah. You know? So, like, me going to my um, NCOs then, it's like, hey, I'm going first time, like, hey, we will have a CQ roster, you know, two months out, so people will know, like, when they're on CQ, mm-hmm. right? And, of course, from there, we gave it to the platoon. So we said, hey, platoon, you have it on this day, you have it on this day, you have it on this day. Before 45 days out, you need to put your people on there so they knew, mm-hmm. right? So, one, I saw the friction of no predictability right cq cq fucks everything up excuse my language right it messes up your plans it just comes at random times yeah. you get right out of the field whatever all right here's a major friction that either the company just get rid of cq yeah <laughs> yeah i i the company commander identify right with my partner the first sergeant which i think everyone wants to wants to do it's like hey you know left and right limits these guys need to know two months out like when is it going to be right mm-hmm. they need to know do I have it on the four day or not? Like they got to know that. All right. Now at the same time, like we don't want this to make a dictatorship where the company is deciding everything. It's like, all right, well now you will inform the platoon leadership, platoon leader, platoon sergeant that they need to sign their names of who they want. Right. At least 45 days. So third platoon knows, Hey, we got the L on Friday. Red platoon knows we got it on Saturday. White platoon knows they have it, whatever. Now they internally can do whatever. Figure out the NCOs and the, the yeah, whatever, whatever they want to do. Like who's going where, what's going on. Like you know, they can reward someone or whatever to get that stuff into place. And, and I think that's an important way of uh, managing, especially at like at the troop level mm-hmm. of what's going on. So you don't have toxic toxicity. Toxicity may come from. The troop commander and first sergeant just saying, hey. You guys you tomorrow. You guys got this. Yeah. Like, here's, nope, the roster comes one month earlier. Training room is the one who creates it. Like, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. It's very frustrating when you're like, especially when it's coming up four day. And then on that Thursday, it's like, hey, uh, yeah, who wants to CQ? And nobody volunteers. And you're like, well, do I want to be that, that asshole that doesn't volunteer? And you're like, all right, I'll do it. Yeah. Hey, I need to do CQ. I'm not be able to go on go to Rome this weekend with you anymore. Yeah. Like, oh my god. This I is- I so during my time, like I that was just completely on set. Like the one or two times that semi happened, like I came down and I I smashed that because especially when it comes to four days, right? Mm-hmm. Four days, like no, that that's what people fight and live for. Yeah. Is for four days when they come out here. When we're mm-hmm. on ACRF, no one cares. Cause they can't go anywhere. You I mean, can't drink. Technically, technically, you you can. You just got to plan it in advance and put it in your passes. So now, but, now we can. Yeah. Back in the past, when I was, when it was Colonel yeah, Jones, Colonel Jones and, there, there was and no. He said, nope. No. Yeah. <laughs> you, you're on a when you're on an ACRF, you're with coming back within two hours. You might as well just bring your sleeping bag into work and sleep here. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the big problem. I mean, the 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 plan that you have is great. I mean, I really wish that 
that uh, everybody did that. But I think a big issue with that is is going to be consi- consistency, not on your part, but consistency consistency on on maybe the platoon level and and like all right, well, we need to fill this roster in. And sometimes some people, I'm not saying that everybody's like that, but mm-hmm. some people just just aren't consistent with it. And you're like, well, my plan is shit now. Yeah, I think I think the only thing some of our younger guys just need to just understand is those who aren't consistent don't rise to the top. Exactly. Right. So, yes, that might happen. That you, you know, everyone gets everyone gets a little screwed in the military from time to time. But just know that those people aren't aren't making their way up. People who aren't reliable aren't going to go up. So maybe they may be at a certain high position at the time, but don't worry. They will get out the way and you will continue to rise mm-hmm. and you'll find extremely competent leaders that are phenomenal. Right. And things will get better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we go on the next, next topic. Um, what is a significant moment in your career that, that made you the leader that you are today? Mm, um, so I would say during my S4 time, Major Clark, which I don't think you know who that guy is. So he was the old, old XO. I, I, I think I actually know who that is. Okay. He, was, um, he, he had a, a, a Ranger back deployment, right? Yeah. I know who that is. Yeah. So he, he was very particular, very, not many people liked him, right? But working underneath him just... You, you have ranger school, right? It's like, yeah, I can make sure that knots are good, you know? For officers, is making sure that every single one of the pieces to get 2,000 miles for wherever we need to go mm-hmm. is perfectly in place and there's no issues, right? Like, he was that one to get it to that next level. So as you continue in your military career and you continue to cur- progress, like, though you may have been a reliable team leader or platoon leader, you may not be a reliable staff officer or platoon sergeant or company commander because you're still operating as a platoon leader. Mm-hmm. So working underneath him, I would say from a junior company grade officer, he allowed me to do more of the transition to a senior company crate company uh, commander where, you know, field grade officers would feel okay with me taking the lead as well as, you know, potentially working alongside them as a fellow peer, as a, as a field grade officer. So Mm -hmm. most impactful time was working underneath him and the absolute demand for, uh, perfection and reliability. Mm -hmm. Someone that was very big on demanding perfection and reliability was Colonel Jones. He was, he was, I would say he's coming on the show in two days. Is he? Yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I, so I would say he he was actually a lot easier than people give him credit for. Exactly. Like I think I think that <laughs> a lot of people I mean sorry my language, but I think a lot of people were just being bitches. I, I, like I think some people just wouldn't toughen up. They just they just they just don't they just want four days and they want fun time and I'm like, that's not how it works, dude. I, I think so. So like, you know, like working with him, like I've gotten blasted by him, which which is not fun because like, you know, he I won't say he like gives it to you, but like he identifies like, hey, you messed up, and you're like, oh man, I feel really bad. I really, like, but it's that was that's nothing wrong with that. Um, and then he just really liked to run long distance, and like me personally, I don't like running I long distance. Di- I love so like the first thing on a Monday, do I want to run long distance? I sometimes, no. I, sometimes, if I'm, I think sometimes you you like you lose any kind of gain you're supposed to get from it after five miles. 
I think five miles is like the perfect distance to to run. If I mean, you want to push yourself, but I think if, if you, you want to just yeah. If you don't want to kill yourself, but you want to get some, I, I would say that yeah, five 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 miles. So that, that was my only that was my only issue. Like other than that, he was simple. He, you knew exactly what he wanted. Yeah. You knew exactly what the results were going to be. The only things that you know sucked is if you just didn't want to go to the standard, which the standard was really not that hard. Rucking eighteen miles did it suck? Yeah, it sucked, I, but it wasn't it wasn't hard. The last time I actually did a ruck march for work was when he was in command. Yeah. Yeah, like, and, and I actually kind of like miss doing it because I mean, you finish a ruck, you're like, damn, that shit sucked. But I feel I feel great because I just yeah. I just fucking destroyed a 12 mile ruck. I just destroyed an 18 mile yeah. ruck. I feel like a beast right now. Yeah, and then the live fires, everyone did the live fires, so you you kind of knew what to expect, and like you you just knew that there was just a constant demand. Like I felt comfortable working underneath him to go fight in a war. Like Ex- absolutely, I, I thought I would like totally do that. Like 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 things will be uh, fine. So he was. Again, he was relatively easy. You knew his expectations. And the thing I appreciated with him towards, like, when I was in command with him was the counselings. Like, everyone, ring counselings are, are so vital. And I don't, I see how the junior NCOs do it, which I hate, where it's, like, the full paragraph form. I think I don't yeah, like that. It, it, they're just word vomiting. Yeah. So, like, what I do with my platoon leaders and platoon sergeants and the other people I rate is exactly the way he does it, right? So, like... I will write in like three improved, three sustains that I have. I'll put it on the side of improves and sustains f- that they want to write in. And it's literally just me writing like, hey, you know, your sustain is maybe four words and we talk about it. And he did that. So you knew exactly where you stood. You knew where you messed up. You and knew like, what he wanted. And it validated. Like, there was a couple times where it's like, oh man, did I really mess up? And you came in and I was like, hey, you need to improve this. It's like, okay, yeah, I really did mess that up. Or like, oh, hey, did I knock that out of the water? Like, okay, I knocked that out of the water. Or like, was that an uh-uh? Like, okay, I'm on the way. So I really appreciate that uh, counseling, which you don't get that much from field grades. You have to force it from them. You hardly get it from your, your NCOs are supposed to get it. You, you hardly. And it, it was crazy because as a troop commander, every single platoon sergeant I had, he was just like, they said, like, this is the first time I've been counseled by my troop commander. Like, every every guy that came in, that I was a raider or senior raider, mm-hmm. they got initial counseling from me. If I was their senior raider, at least quarterly, so every three months they would get a counseling, maybe even fewer. Um, if I rated them, it would be a counseling every single month, and this is just and this is like a legit counseling, like piece of paper mm-hmm. and stuff. And I'll talk to them where they stood, where they needed to go, and like where they need to drive to. Yeah, and I think that's super important. Yeah, uh, some, uh, some, but Bar Colonel Jones, some people just, some people just forgot why they were here, and he he had his he had his way of his leadership style, and I don't to be honest, I don't really think it was a bad one. Sometimes it sucked being away from family for a long time, or just staying at, in the fields for a certain amount of time, or doing the live fire lanes three times. We just needed to deploy. Yes, it was just <laughs> like you know, it was he just like to work he is, right there. Yeah, he is. He needed to be at Bragg. He needed to be somewhere that just deployed. It was just like I'm gonna keep this PG. So it was just like you know, you are super trained and you're on the side of you know, ready to play football, and you're just seeing all these people sucking at the football game. You're just like, for the love of God, put coach, me put me in. And it's that's like being a taxi driver and not having no clients. You're like, yeah. Yeah, so like that was that was my total feeling the whole time uh, working uh, 
underneath Colonel Jones was just like, yes, fuck, we are fucking ready. We are fucking good. Let's just go fucking do this. And the, and the, the one thing about people, I think people got most frustrated mm-hmm. was the amount of times he would recock you on a live fire lane. But mm-hmm. some people would just wouldn't see like, dude, if I compare this, this lane that I just did to mm-hmm. my first lane, I'm 10 times better. Yeah. And people don't realize that. They just, they're just like, oh, I got to do this again. And like, yeah. Well, that didn't have too many times in the Anvil Troop during that fucking live fire. Listen, listen. <laughs> I, w- I, was, I was on uh, on was on a rain support for you guys one time. I was in the tower, and I was listening to the comms, and I <laughs> I don't know if that's true. Uh-huh. I, mean, I remember the last troop live fires. I remember that. The last troop live fires? Yeah. What happened well, there? Well, platoon live fires. Platoon live fires. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, oh, was, let it <laughs> light up the night. Were you yeah. there for that one? <laughs> yeah, I was there for that one. Hey, that that would uh, everyone has their mistakes. That one, that was a good. Uh, oh, all one. I hear, all I hear is Carter Jones on the radio. What the fuck's going on, Evo Six? Yeah, what's going on? And I'm like, and it's not even a true live fire. Why is Evo Six getting chewed off for this? <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, what what do you think is the most rewarding part about being a troop commander? Uh, man, just success. So. Not my success, everyone else's mm-hmm. success, right? You you have a huge family of people, right? Up to maybe 92 people, even more. Um, and everyone's success, like, though it's not yours, is, is extremely rewarding, right? So, like, when someone crushes it in PT, when someone, um, you know, go on vacation, when someone crushes it in live fire, just everyone's success is just such a huge sense of pride, right? Or even like when you see a dude, he came in all raggedy and now he's looking nice mm-hmm. and he has a pretty uh, girlfriend or something like that. It's just or that like, dude that grows that disgusting mustache and just shows up to work with this shaved. Yeah, that's yeah, a, exactly. That's a problem, that's a problem in Bulldog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so right? Like, is terrible. So it's those things. It's, it's, it's growth. It's just seeing success. And underneath uh, the last squadron commanders, Colonel Stauffer, Colonel Jones, and uh, Colonel Brown, this squadron is a very successful squadron. Yes of people so that's that's what the most rewarding thing of being a troop commander here in 191 cab is being able to be a part of everyone's success absolutely i mean that's very important i mean if if, if it's all you got to do is just look at the progression from when like someone that's leaving like you are and then someone that like, i'm about to leave in like four months if you just look at how you were or how the unit was when you first got here and how much it like grew yeah you, you just feel up that sense of a sense of pride. I think we got here roughly the same time. I got here like June of, of 2017. Uh, you got probably got here more probably in the winter. Of I that think year. so in the winter. Yeah. I mean, if you just look back, you just like, damn, I, I really, I'm really leaving here a, a lot better soldier or, or a commander or, or whatever the yeah. case was. You, you're leaving here a lot better than when you first got here. And yeah. That's probably the most important part. <clears throat> All right, we're, we're getting ready to close up here, and so, so my intent for this podcast is to. Is to target those people that that are struggling and uh, with leadership tasks or st- st- struggling to to become a better leader, and they just need a little bit that that motivation and a little bit of of um, a little push to 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 reach their objective. Um, and <clears throat> what is a message or story that you have to listeners that from all over the world that are listening to us right now that are going through something, and w- that being whatever it is. And they need some help, or they need a message, or they need some a motivational story to accomplish their their objective or their goal that they're facing at this moment. Yeah. So uh, halfway through my troop command, we had a uh, negligent discharge uh, that happened at 
at a range. Uh, I had failed to properly report in a timely manner, which I was actually flagged and put under investigation. Mm. Basically, my troop, my command was basically on the line mm -hmm. uh, as the investigation was, was going on. Now, luckily, you know, I, I, I would say, like, it was just my negligence of not saying it rapidly, mm -hmm. right? I feel one of the fundamentals of reconnaissance of rapidly and timely uh, reporting so, of, of course, you, you got to see the man, you know, when, when you mess up. And as a troop commander, like, you, you have very limited uh, leeway. Like, you got to know what is going on. And that could be for any le leader. Like, you have that one time of, like, very little room. So, when it came up, I, I, didn't, I didn't play around. I didn't blame it on anyone else. I didn't blame it on the guy. I said, I failed, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I Everybody failed to does. put, I, yeah, like, I failed to put this in place. I failed to do this and this and this. Whatever you decide to do, like, I'm going to continue giving my 100, right? So. who Was it Colonel Jones at the time? It was, was Colonel it was, it was Colonel Jones, right? So, and that's why that's why I did afterwards. Like, it, it didn't really change my uh, work ethic. I was still working <clears> the same way, but I, I knew that. I, I knew that I could not be combative and defensive and it, it, it was, it was an honest mistake, right? I, I could not be combative or, or anything. What I had to do was just show that I was reliable and that's what I did for the next two to three months. We consistently was always ready. We were consistently meeting time hacks. We mm -hmm. were consistently doing exactly what we needed uh, to do. Why? Because if needed on the weekend, I would come in, prepare, right? Whatever is your subordinates key things that they need to know, right? Like your subordinates will always have three things that's important to them, right? You always do those three things, right? For those subordinates, your leadership, right? Your leadership just expects you to do exactly what you need to do on time right? Doing something timely, reliability, right? So I went from, you know, potentially losing command um, and most likely not getting an evaluation that was going to be good, which could have, you know, not allowed me to promote it to major, to being rated the number one maneuver commander and getting an actually good evaluation from the brigade commander mm -hmm. at the end of it. And with Colonel... Jones extremely proud, um, which was a pivotal moment, I would say, in my professional career of accepting a fault, one, two, uh, continuing to be reliable, right? Three, working with your fellow peers, your subordinates, all right, and then even then your hires. So the field grades, the staff officers, everyone just knew that Anvil would have everything that they needed or asked for and, and it would be done. And it, and it panned out uh, to, be, to be great and fantastic. And what happens then is you have a reputation, right? That is very easy to uphold. You just mm -hmm. be on time. And what happens then, everyone looks towards you. Everyone then 
wants to compete against you. Everyone like you, you are then always on someone's tongue. You're everyone is always for some reason looking at you and judging it, everything you do, judging everything that you want to do. And it, it may seem stressful, but it is okay. It, it is good. So my message to you, if there, there is one that you're in a leadership position is once you hit that rough time, own that rough time, right? Just own it and figure out what you need to do to be reliable. And once you're reliable, you're, you're going to see it. You're going to see the competition around you of everyone trying to compete. You don't need to win. You don't need to be the top dude. What you need is, is that everyone is after you. All right. All right. That's pretty motivating. Um, <clears throat> it, it ties, it, it ties up to kind of what, what, uh, what Max said on the last episode is just, um, be true to yourself and, and, uh, be the best version of yourself that you can be. Right. Cause like you said, don't, don't need to be the top guy, but if you just continue being the best version you can, you, you eventually will be that top guy. Right. Um, I mean, you said it all. I, mean, I got nothing else to say on that. I mean, you pretty much hit everything, right? So we're, we're going to close it up here. I, I mean, I really appreciate you taking the time to come here and, and, um, and uh, spend some time with us and, and share some knowledge and leadership experience, Andre. And uh, I wish you luck on your next unit. I uh, wish you and your family a happy new year. And um, I'll see you listeners on the next episode. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I appreciate you having me. Uh, this was a wonderful experience. And definitely, I would say, everyone out there, please just reach out to people, talk to people. Bye. This was a blast. All right. This is the World's Greatest Leaders Podcast, and I'll see you guys on the next episode. Burn.